take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Take up your cross. Almighty God, as we come before your gospel reading, may you open our hearts and minds to understand your word, God, to infect our lives with you. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a little worried I'm going to get in trouble today because <laughs> i just been on a retreat, and I've heard three, three days of great preaching, worship, small groups. I got to dive into uh, time with other pastors, and man, it's, it's just been great. Um, and then on the way to the retreat and on the way back, uh, I got to hear some audiobooks. I'm not like a huge reader, right? But I like listening to the audiobooks. And so I heard a, about three books. Uh, one was, I'm going to do a study here on the Christian Atheist, which is people that say they are believers of Jesus, but living as though it makes no impact in their life, right? That's the Christian atheist. One is the letters of the letters to the church by Francis Chan, which, wow, is powerful. I mean, you read those words that he has to tell us about. He was basically this big mega church pastor out in California, and he's given it all up, right, to to church plant here in America in small group settings. Um, and anyway. Get, if you get a chance, read the book. Uh, and the other one was a book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. And how do we set appropriate boundaries in life, in the church life? I think we all struggle with forms of boundaries in our life. Uh, and depending on how we all grew up depends on how we set boundaries. It does impact us even today as adults. Um, so some of that's going to come out in the sermon uh, because originally I was going to have Amanda preach today because I'm like, you know, it'd be great for you to preach. I've been on this retreat, you know, but she has a lot with, uh, she went back, she's going back to seminary along with her job here and then being a mom. So uh, here I am, and it's the first time she's ever told me, well, you have more experience at preaching than I do. So uh, I appreciated that. Um, so again, we're, we're really going to focus on verses 34 to 37. And it says this again, all who want to come and follow me after me must say to themselves, say no to themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And all who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives. So I, I believe as the people of God, at some point in our lives, we decided to give ourselves up and be allowed, allow God to use us for his glory. I mean, that's, that's part of the Christian experience is, in fact, we give up ourselves completely to the Lord. All of our wants, desires, needs, all of that in fact, he says we must be willing to die for him, to die for Jesus. 
And again, here in the, this country, it's very easy to say this with our words, but are we willing to live out the Word of God? Because, friends, it's not a game. Christianity is not a game. It, it, the, the religious experience is not a game. It's not something we show up for on Sunday morning and that's it, right? It's a real living experience. One of our students this year was from India. From India. He had come to United Seminary for three days, flew from India to come to an intensive and have the same experience I did. I mean, I had a long drive, eight hours, but I did not fly in from India. And those pastors over there, I've shared this before, they are dying for their faith. I mean, there's not even a guaranteed this young man will make it through seminary alive. But he's willing to come there and learn and, and try to understand the gospel and the New Testament and the Old Testament. Right? Are we willing to do the same? I mean, truthfully, I, I was sharing this with Jane this morning. There's lots of stressors in America about the decline of American Christianity and the church, right? That our numbers are dwindling and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I praise the Lord for it. You know why? Because we're becoming leaner and meaner as a church. The, again, I've said this, I think, two or three Sundays ago. The people that are still in church are dedicated dedicated uh in acts it tells us what the disciples devoted themselves to fellowship to the breaking of bread to the reading of scripture keyword devoted themselves devoted how many of you this morning are devoted that's what we need the church we don't need pews full of people they're not devoted to the Word of God. And it's not, again, it's not about what pleases me. It's not about what pleases you, right? This whole experience that we have together as one body of, of Christ is to please the Lord. To please the Lord. Period. And it could get really troublesome, right? Because we have, who has things they like and don't like, Right? Everybody in the room? Yeah? We have hymns we like. I told you this morning, that's my favorite hymn. My favorite. We could sing it every Sunday. I'd be happy. Right? When I was growing up, that was like the battle song of my faith. Oh, for a thousand tongues I sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. Right? It is an incredible hymn. It was played at my ordination service. Okay? All of these special things. But guess what? It's not about me. It's about what is pleasing in God's sight. Pleasing to Him. How do, so how do we deny ourselves, friends? How do we deny our American culture in some ways? Our driven culture of it, it, consumerism. I mean, we are consumers. Us middle class people, uh, you know, as we're, we're talking about the economy right now, it's the middle class who drive the economy, right? We make purchases, we buy cars, we buy homes, we go to Walmart and Target when we need stuff and we get it, right? We have credit cards, probably shouldn't have those, those get in trouble, but we drive the economy. But 
Jesus tells us that we are to give up everything for him. Everything. Our, our, our drive for succeeding in this world should be a drive to be for Jesus. I mean, as Paul tells us, right, that all things, every part of me is for him. We have to deny ourselves and do our best to, to not live in perpetual sin, right? And I understand. In our theology, we, we don't believe that we can ever be perfect. But Jesus did tell, and we're going to have to wrestle with that together. John 8, 11, right? He's at the woman with the well, and he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That in fact, that this woman who lived in sin, did, did he really think she could go and sin no more? Well, I think he was, he was telling her, and we could, we'd have to really dive into that, but it's the heart. What is your heart saying? Is your heart saying, you know, I'm a believer of Jesus. I can do whatever. I basically do what I want, and then I'm going to confess my sins, and I'm fine. Is that what it tells us? Or does it say it to try to strive to be like Jesus? I think that's what the whole Christian experience is all about, is, is being the little Jesuses. It's, it's that old band that we used to put on, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Every moment of our lives. Amen? Amen. Every moment of our lives that we're trying to strive to be like Jesus. To take this extreme of how we spend our time and our talents and our money and every bit of it, our entire existence wrapped in the one. What does it say about our faith, friends? What does it say about our faith? Remember Hebrews 11? By faith. By faith. And this can mean all kinds of things for us, right? It can mean that we, we change jobs, we change careers, we, we change where we live. So one of the ladies at the retreat, her name was Sister Judy, right? So there's a Catholic monastery right near the seminary, which was the strain. This was, a, again, I'm from South Louisiana. So in South Louisiana, the Catholic-Protestant relationship is not there right like like we like we don't like each other like i'm serious like we're going to hell like that's that's it us protestants are going to hell like that's and so anytime i see like friendly roman catholics towards protestants like it is so anti-cultural from where i grew up so here's sister judy and we're at the catholic church for our opening worship service very high church we have um all kind of denominations represented and it comes time for communion and um, there's a pastor up there a non-catholic pastor consecrating communion and then we all take in the catholic church it just blew my mind i'm just like how is this possible right but anyway let me get back to my point sister judy who's part of that monastery um she lives in an apartment complex in town and um, they wanted her to go back to the monastery during COVID because they didn't want, you know, she's elderly. She's in her 80, 80s, right? Sorry if I called you elderly, but <laughs> she's in her 80s. And uh, yeah, she, she's, she's a great, she's been do, teaching students for over 15 years at the seminary. And they were afraid she was going to get COVID. So, but she said, 
well, then my ministry will go away. All the time that I've spent with these people in this apartment complex, getting to know them and love on them and spread Jesus to them, would end. And so my point here is, for her, the possible risk of dying from COVID, which is very real, she's in that bracket, she's in an apartment complex with all these young people who and sometimes don't even care anything about it, right? But that was her cross. She needed to minister to those people in that day, that time, right? And so you got to ask yourself, what is your cross this morning? Uh, taking up a cross, how do we take that up? So again, this was a call for revolutionary action in the time of Jesus. I'm going to keep sure I get my, I have my notes here. But essentially, uh, at that time, take up your cross and follow me was a summons to death and a summons to uprise against the government of Rome. It, it led to rebellions and executions. It was a step to a nonviolent martyrdom. Nonviolent martyrdom. It's a call to nonviolent yet revolutionary action. The kind that would invite persecution. So, you know, it drives me kind of crazy. You know, we all, many of us have crosses around our neck. So what we are stating to the world through the context of the New Testament is that we are willing to, one, die with Jesus. We're willing to die. We're willing to take up a revolutionary arm of nonviolence, not one with a sword or a gun, okay, but to die for Christ. There are, there are some crazy people in this world. Uh, I was watching a documentary of this Christian group somewhere out in, I think it's Oregon, which there's always crazies out there, right? And they're like training their congregation to like be a military force. That's the opposite of the gospel. I mean, I'm a I'm a gun owner, right? I'm pro gun. I'm, I'm a southern boy. Of course, I have guns. But, but that's not the point of the gospel. Like, the point of the gospel is to be willing to give it all for Jesus. And so, I, I mean, I'm gonna. Have, we're all gonna have to struggle with that. How do we give it all? How do we truly make earth as it is in heaven as believers of Jesus? I mean, that's our prayer every Sunday on earth as it is in heaven. How are we actively doing that at First Lutheran Church? How are we? I, and I've, I listed all the ministries last Sunday that we're actively involved in to try to make this kind of change. But can we do more? Yes. Can we live more in faith? Yes, we can. So I'm just going to, I'm going to list to you kind of some things what a disciple does. There are seven marks of discipleship. And you can write these down. I encourage you to. Uh, you can put them on your phone. Uh, and maybe at some point I'll, I'll, Send them out on an email or something. But there's seven marks of discipleship. First, a disciple pursues a growing relationship with Jesus. A disciple. So 
that's all of us in here should be striving to be a disciple of Jesus. So the first one is we pursue a growing relationship with Jesus. We're intentional about how we spend our time in prayer and study and conversation with Christ. So again, in a relationship with your spouse, with your friends, with whoever you have a friendship with, how do you grow? Conversation. By the breaking of bread, by food. Uh, we had one student that was from uh, some, uh, South Korea. And he was sharing how literally when you have, when you invite somebody over to your house, it's for food. So will you come over for some food as, as the invite? Every single time. Like it's part of the hospitality. So again, I encourage you to eat together. Eat together. Talk together. Talk with Jesus. Have a conversation with him. Spend some time in silence. Study his word, friends. Study his word. You know, if you were to like sit in a room and read this book cover to cover, how many hours do you think it would take you? Like, that's all you did. A lot. 72 hours. If you were to sit in a room 24 hours a day, it would take you 72 hours. You know, most Christians, like less than 5%, will ever read this entire book in their lifetime. It's the Word of God, friends. Take the Word of God and read it. 72 hours. So if, if you don't want to, you know, get you a cup of coffee, don't bathe for three days, don't do anything, just read the Word. Read the Word. You know, I won't judge. Okay? Read the Word of God and get to know it. All right, so next is a disciple strives to become more like Jesus, right? We become the little Jesus in our community. Strive to become more like Jesus. That's what a disciple does. We're not striving to be more like Jesus. Like, what's the point? Really? Third, a disciple participates in a relational discipleship. It means that, again, not all of your friends and family, well, maybe all your family, but not all your friends are all Christians, and not all of them are not saved, right? So we want to be engaging with the not saved people so they know about Jesus. You talk about filling pews, that's how, you, I mean, that's not my goal at the end of the day, but if you want to have more people come to know Jesus and me in this church, it's not to steal sheep. Like, I have no desire to steal sheep from an already established church. That's not what we're about. We're about getting people that doesn't know Jesus to have a relationship with him. So we do that by getting to know non-Christians. And then we have to have friendships with Christians to hold us accountable. The Christian walk is also about accountability. We've talked a lot about this this past 13 months together. Accountability together. So have some friends that are lost and have some friends that are believers. <clears throat> and you might be saying, well, I don't know anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, trust me, they're out there. Find them. Go to the local supermarket. You'll find somebody. Go to the local coffee shop. Wherever you dine and eat. Everyone in here, I'm sure, eats out at least once in a while. I, sh I guarantee you there's somebody in there who doesn't know Christ. A disciple gathers with the church to worship. Okay? 
So again, you can you can be a Christian without coming to church. I, I hear that. But to really be a disciple, it's really impossible not to be in a faith community. It really is. It's really difficult. Uh, so I encourage. I mean, we today, I don't know where everybody is today. I know we have a lot of ladies on uh, retreat. And so I, I'm like, I'm missing a few of them. Uh, but we have a lot more people in this church that's connected to this congregation. And you guys need to be calling them and harassing them. Okay? <laughs> and say, get to church. What are you doing? We haven't seen you. We miss you. We love you. Where have you been? And there's a few people in the church. I'll message them on Facebook, and then they'll come to church. They're just looking for someone to reach out to them. And, and I, can't, I can't do that for every single person in the church. But you all can. You all can help me make phone calls. And, it, it, again, it's as simple as saying, we miss you at church. Would you be here Sunday? Guarantee you they'll come. Really. Unless you're like really busy or you're really not friends. I don't know. You know. <laughs> so please call. All right. We want them in worship. Uh, we exercise spiritual gifts to serve. They want us, we want to serve the least of these. We want to serve the community. We are empowered when we reach people for Christ. We have a desire to serve. A disciple does. We give sacrificially and generously, and we've talked about this. We want to support the mission of the church. We want to support the mission of God through our gifts and tithes and offerings. And lastly, a disciple lives missionally, right? We take that great commission to go out and preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit very seriously, and we're going to do everything we can to fulfill that great commission. That's what a disciple does. So again, here are seven things a disciple does this morning for you. Seven things. And you may be, you know, if you're really honest with yourself, you have to ask yourself, am I doing all seven? How committed am I to the gospel? Am I a little bit? Am I not at all? Do I have all seven down this morning? And, and you're saying to yourself, well, I, I just don't know where to start. Guess what? We have help. It's called the Holy Spirit. You can pray to the Holy Spirit, to God, and the Holy Spirit will help you. He will give you a heart to want to live missionally, to want to give sacrificially, to want to serve, to, to want to worship, all of those things that I just mentioned. God will give you a yearning for those things. You know, uh, there was a survey released two or three days ago now, that said only like 6% of the Christian Christians around the world really believe in the Holy Spirit in today's church. 6%. Now again, over the years, we've treated the Holy Spirit as, again, the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity, right? Like we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't engage you know we, we're not pentecostal we don't speak in tongues type stuff right we're almost like scared of the gift of the holy spirit but the holy spirit is the gift from jesus i mean he gave us the holy spirit and so we need again any of those things you're struggling with the holy spirit's real 
the Holy Spirit is with us. In the Old Testament, God would speak from the sky. He would provide manna from heaven, right? And so when, when this happened, when, when the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to us, it's that physical reminder of God is still with us. Just as though God gave bread, manna from heaven, God gave us the Spirit to convict our hearts. And that moment of silence, those five minutes that we took this morning, I encourage you to increase that every week. Every week. Because when you silence your minds, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. I believe it. So being a Christian this morning, to take up our cross and follow Him, is hard. It's hard work. It creates radical life changing change to us and to the earth we live in but could you imagine if the disciples of jesus the disciples of jesus as all of us this morning truly took up our cross and followed him took up our cross and followed him how would this earth be changed how would our lives be changed and as we look at Again, that Hebrews 11 verse as well. And we look at the mothers and fathers of our faith. Again, all of you have those mothers and fathers that helped you understand your faith. And we can look at church history, right? Like like, uh, Martin Luther King and William Penn and John Wycliffe and Martin Luther. And we look at all these people. And we say, you know, how did they do it? Faith. Faith. They took up a cross and followed Jesus. So, this morning, I want us as a church to commit to radical change. Radical discipleship. There's a book on that too, Radical Discipleship. Being radical for Christ. Moving forward as a congregation. So that we can serve our neighbors, that we can have a better relationship with Christ, and better relationship as a family. So, homework for this week. You got homework. You guys ready? You got something to write it down with? Okay. You got homework. Your homework is you got to call somebody in the church that's not here regularly and bug them. Okay? And say, we want you to be a disciple with us and come to worship. Or however you want to nicely say it. We need you in worship. We miss you. We love and mean it, mean it. Okay. Uh, next, uh, at some point, if I can remember, I'm going to send you all seven of those uh, ways to engage in discipleship, and I want you to to engage in one. Okay. And lastly, so there's three things. The last one is spend some time in silence this week. Silence this week, and I'm going to do the same. I'm preaching it to you. I'm going to live what I preach. Spend at least an hour in silence this week. Just trying to hear the voice of God, hear the Holy Spirit when he has to say to me. Amen? All right. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we uh, continue our service today, as we continue to worship, God, may your Holy Spirit infect us. May we be radical disciples for you. May we take up our cross and follow you. Uh, We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.